All right, we're back. Thanks for uh, tuning into the podcast. Um, so, how about we introduce ourselves? I'm Levi. Uh, Riley. And I'm Logan. So today we got a very special guest here from W Hunting Supply. We Jason Doobie with us today. And How's everybody doing? Yeah. Um. Well, so I since we ha- we tried to be real with the podcast, we're just gonna let you know. Well, I think it was like ninety minutes or something, wasn't it? And our computer shut off. So that that that's why that's what happened, guys. We might enter we might enter that blooper in the end. But um, so back to the back to the beginning where we started. Um, let's um talk about like what if you somebody was gonna ask you about your job title, what would you what what would your like official job title you would tell them? Official job description is a customer relations director. So I basically deal with anything that has to do with our customers, not so much uh, shipping and the back end work, um, primarily a lot of phones, putting in orders, tech support and things like that. Uh, I heard you own your own business too. I did, yep, before coming to W, I owned Plumtree Hound Supply. And that's kind of, actually, that's where I met Riley, was going to these field trials and meeting his family and friends and just did a lot of traveling through, especially California. I'm out of Oregon, Southern Oregon, but I have a lot of customers and friends down down that way. And that's how I got hooked up. Okay, so you, you, you only like, like um sell stuff for like hound hunting and bird hunting and stuff like that primarily yeah some of it will cross over you know to other things but we focus our efforts on the dog side so tracking equipment training equipment safety stuff you know like medical kits and and supplements and things like that Uh, but anything to do with a dog pretty much Yeah. Um. Um. So, like, what would what do you think the biggest thing in with like the the company would be? Like, what what's what's do you think the primarily like biggest thing you guys like? I'm trying to figure out how to put this, but like, what do you think the primarily biggest thing is with the the business? What do you think the biggest thing with like? like the whole thing is it mostly like tracking equipment or like just plain old like nameplate collars or like leashes or what uh i would say a lot of collars and leashes because everybody needs them um but a lot of it is the tracking equipment tracking and training stuff to make sure these guys get their dogs home safe do you guys sell this is kind of a stupid question, but do you guys sell like real dog collars too? Like regular just yeah. plain dog collars? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we sell a ton of them. And then they get a free nameplate with them so you can get your dog's information on there and your contact phone number. So if you do lose a dog, you know, the hopes are somebody's gonna pick it up and call you. And that, in my opinion, is the most important thing you could put on a dog over anything else is just a way for them to get a hold of you if that dog gets lost. Yeah, because, like, you, you I, I know, like, like sometimes when we're just, like, coon hunting down here in, like, the brush patch or whatever, you can, like, sometimes if you don't, like, need it, 
And you can turn a dog loose without a GPS or a tracking collar or whatever. And you can recover that dog somewhat. It's a little bit harder, but you can recover it. But, like, a regular old nameplate collar is probably, like, so they know, like, how to get a hold of you if they find your dog. Hands down. Best thing you can put on a dog. For eight bucks, it, it does. It's like the best bang for your buck. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have two questions. So, do you guys hand make the collars? We do not. We have a company that we source them through. What we did was we uh, we had everything made as far as the the cutters and some special things that we wanted done with our collars to make them better than the average collar on the market, but we do hire it out and we have a company that builds those for us just because we don't have the manpower to make, you know, 500 collars in a day. Yeah. Where, where these guys, you know, they can, they can fill a big order and keep us supplied so we can keep our customers supplied. And I know like, like the collars you guys sell are more high quality than you can buy like at PetSmart or something. Yeah. I mean, especially... When you're looking at collars, there's different brackets, okay? You could go to a leather collar like we offer. You could do the smell and water-resistant collars. There's several options out there, but we really do try to bring a high-quality collar to the people just because, like I said, it's the most important thing you can put on a dog. And if that collar rots off, you know, or gets water damaged, we don't want that falling off because that's your lifeline with your name tag. We want to make sure it's a high quality and can hold up. Because like Riley knows, our dogs aren't like normal dogs. These dogs go through things that the average pet would never go through. So we want to make sure that we bring them a, a quality product. And in a way, that it's kind of more like they almost mean more to you than like a house, like a chihuahua or your house pet would in a way. Yeah, it's just different. You know, I, I have had some just straight house dogs. Um, and you build a different relationship with my hounds. I find there's more of a, there's a huge respect. Without them, I couldn't do what I do. Just like without the game that I chase, I wouldn't be able to go hunting. So it's a huge circle. You know, it's a partnership. So I think the, uh, the relationship is just different. I, and and then so like the last thing I because I know it's like a personal preference like some like us we only like me and dad we only put uh, nameplates like on our um on our like regular collars. Do you guys ever get like special requests to put like nameplates um on like their tracking collars and their GPS or is that that like a? Oh yeah. So is yeah, but we do. I mean, we've even got nameplates we have pre-printed that are. They basically say this dog is personal property. Theft or tampering of equipment will be prosecuted because in most states it is a, it's an offense to remove a hunting collar from a dog because that's how we get our dogs back. You know, it's essentially theft at that point. So we have a lot of guys that have us put those on their, their collars, their GPS collars. I mean, really, when you... If somebody were to pick up a dog in the woods, the goal is they look at it and there is no excuse for them not to get a hold of you. They should know that that dog is wanted. We want to get them back, and here's the way to get a hold of us. I, my second question is, um, so 
I know some people, like Riley, I've been to his house. Um, he has his house dogs, and then he has his hunting dogs. So, are you close with your hunting, hunting dogs like you are with your regular house pet dog? I am. It's a little different um, because they have a job to do. So, I don't know. In some ways, I'll probably sound bad for saying this. Like, I'm very strict with my dogs as far as I try to feed them at the same time every day. I have to really watch their body conditions every day. It, it's different than like, um, you know, my house pet, you throw him some food, you love on him and he's happy. Where these guys, are, the hunting dogs are so much more involved because they are athletes. You just have to be really in tune with them to make sure that they're performing at the top level for their safety and for the enjoyment you know you can't just take a dog out that's been sitting for six months and expect it to perform they've got to stay in shape and train so i feel like i'm more in tune with them than i am with my house dogs but they mean the same it's just different yeah like like with our with our house dogs like we're really close with them but in like a one sense like we're more probably more close with our like hunting dogs because we spend almost more time with your hunting dogs than you do with your house dog, you know? If you're a good, like, you hunt a lot, you know? Yeah. I agree with that. I was asking because some, some hunting dogs, you know, that's like when you go hunting, sometimes that's their last time to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was... Oh, yeah, anything could happen. Yeah. They could get lost. They could... And then if you have a hound dog for a house pet you don't take him because then it's like yeah like there's that's why i was just asking there's there's one lady we know that we're really good friends with that most of her dogs like live in her house but because like a hound dog is probably arguably one of the best pets ever and because they they're they and then but like uh she like keeps all of her dogs in their house and it's so cool because she has her name, the, each one of the names on their food bowl. And every time you move their food bowl around, each dog will go to their same bowl. So it's like training. Yeah. And then it's like, because like the dogs, like they make really good house pets too. Yeah. And in fact, like right now, I had lost my house pet probably about three years ago now. And I had had him. He was, I think, 11 when he passed. So I took one of my older blue ticks that I started with and he's been retired from hunting. So now he's, he's our house dog, you know, and my boys love him and he follows him around. He sleeps in the living room. You know, he's done his job for a lot of years. So he's just going to live his glory days out, you know, hanging out with the family. His job description has changed. I yeah. have new hounds to take his place but he fills a hole in other places. Yeah, because my uncle, he, his his older dog, he passed now, but he, uh, about a year ago, but he, he was his hunting dog and his house dog. He was both at the same time. Like, you're talking about your dog was retired and then came a house dog. His was both. He would be in the house when he's not hunting, and then when he is hunting, he's out with my uncle. Yep. And there's a lot more guys out there than you think. Like Buddy, the owner of W, his dogs live in the house. 
Um, they've got a really nice kennel set up. So at night they go away and they just cruise around the house and outside. They're very well mannered. I think there's a misconception that hounds don't make good pets because they need a job to do. Like if they're bored, it's no different than taking a border collie and keeping it penned up. They have all that energy and drive to do something that's been bred into them that they have to have something to focus their efforts. And I'm pretty sure they my, have to have a job. I'm pretty sure my aunt's a hound dog then. Because <laughs> if she's not doing something, she'll go crazy and get up and go find every little thing to do. Yep. Because yeah, like, you gotta have somewhere to focus it. <laughs> so like in our, in our in our last one we did with you, you talked about how you went to all these shows back east. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we've been to some pretty good shows. Um, I don't do a whole lot of traveling anymore unless it's you know close to California. I try to come down and see my friends and stuff down there. But we did go to Autumn Oaks a couple of years which is a huge coonhound event, probably one of the, I'm not going to say the biggest, I think there are others that have more dogs show up, but it's kind of like the Super Bowl of coon hunting. Kind of like our That's Elk Creek down here. That's where all the big names come out. It's, it would be kind of like what? Kind of like our Elk Creek down here would be like. Mm -hmm, totally. Yeah, so like you guys have the other events throughout the, the early season, and then Elk Creek is like the big show. California yeah. and it's kind of the same way I mean they'll hunt several hundred dogs in four dog cast because they only hunt four at a time so you've got hundreds of hunting spots within a two-hour drive that they're taking these guys and and doing the competition night hunts and then they have the, the bench shows and all kinds of stuff vendors everywhere puppies for sale they got a whole barn that's just puppies and dogs for sale and it's just, I mean, for a hound guy, it, it's a trip that you should make once in your life. It's a really cool thing. That sounds kind of like when you go and to 4-H to go get your pig. Yeah. They're all rattled up in the coop, and then you just pick one. Yep. And then, uh, you know, we do the big one at Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association. They do a huge fundraising banquet, and that is a monster event. You know, they do all kinds of raffles they have legislators come in and talk and they're really focused on preserving hound hunting and bear hunting and even though it's in wisconsin it, or in wisconsin it carries a lot of weight nationwide like they're setting a great example a lot like chc and some of these other state organizations to preserve what we do yeah. we're under constant attack by the anti-hunters oh yeah but like because you said about the wisconsin bear hunters association have you ever been to like any like really really big like because i know before 2012 my family was like we only hunted bears because uh -huh. before 2012 and then like have you ever been to like any like really really big just like strict like bear hunting like events uh, I mean, that's the big one for a, a casual setting. And then when I first got into hounds, I also bear hunted. That's where I started. So it was just our camp, really, which was multiple generations. You know, there were kids raging from, I'm going to say, two, three years old on up to grandparents. You know, it was, it was a lot of people in camp, and it was a big 
kind of family ordeal I was lucky enough to, to squeeze in on. <laughs> yes. So what you're talking about, is it kind of like where hunters gather up and then kind of like an Easter egg hunt thing for like a casino or something when you go when they like blow the horn, then you set out and go hunting. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Like, yeah, more so. Like hunters get together and everybody, hey, we're going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go check this road. And then you just radio contact all day. And, you know, sometimes you'd have two, three different bears going with different guys in your area. And it was just a lot of fun. There was a lot of camaraderie that I I missed from those days. Because now I hunt mainly in small groups. Because, like, Bear hunting brought a lot of camaraderie to everybody. But I remember, like, back before they closed bear season in California, we used to have, like, like Jesse Turner and the Turner guys, where they would set up, like, the big bear hunts. Like, do you ever, like, do you, how, did you ever go to any of those? No, I, like, I knew a lot of people in the Siskiyou Helmsman. I was actually vice president for a little while, and I know they had their big bear competitions. But I was so new to it at that point. I was really just with my group and trying to learn everything. I wish I could go back and do it over, though, you know, and get around some of that. Like Sonny and Jesse and those guys are great people yeah, and very knowledgeable houndsmen. And then just seeing all the people that gravitate towards that, it would have been nice to go back and do that over. And then I, I know, like, there used to be, like, in Oregon – there used to be like mountain lion and bobcat hunts. Did you? I'm, I'm assuming you went to one, at least one of them. But did did you? Uh, like we do a couple of hunts a year through our 501c3 nonprofit called uh, Houndsmen for Heroes. Yeah. Where we get a bunch of guys together and we take out Purple Heart recipient veterans or first responders. You know, people that have given so much for us and our country. We try to give back to them. So twice a year, I go on a big bobcat hunt for them. And then, you know, the clubs, sometimes they'll host an event like that, like a fox hunt where we'll go take pictures and, you know, you don't have to necessarily harvest the animal. But they try to do that just to generate the camaraderie again, get everybody involved. Um. Yeah, so, like, Back to, like, because I know, like, because we didn't talk, like, yeah, okay. So, like, because you used, they used, when you had your own, um, like, your own, like, when you had Plum Tree, when you switched over to W, did you, does, like, W, and did you ever do, like, anything for, like, the Hound Hunter, like, events or anything? For the, for the what? Like when, like you, you, you had your own and then like your own business and then Buddy had his own, like W, do you guys ever do anything like any like event wise, like setting up your own events or do you just do like selling your products at events? You know, right now pretty much is going to other events just because there's so much involved and the people who put that stuff on don't get near enough credit. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time to put on events like that and do it right. And we just don't want to have to do something. You know, it's, uh, we feel that we can better support in other ways and let the clubs organize it. But who knows? I mean, down the road, what will happen? Because I know, like, day by day and week by week, you guys are getting bigger with, like, the rising output of, like, um, 
more hound hunters because like you, the, your company is getting bigger and bigger every day you know it is yep it is growing it seems like constantly okay so i had i had this question um because i know you and buddy both hunt is there anybody else at your company that hunts hounds uh, Mike used to. He doesn't anymore, but Mike is the head of our service department. Uh-huh. And he used to hunt with red bones. But other than that, it's pretty much just me and Buddy. Uh-huh. Uh, which is a good thing, because when hunting season rolls around, you know, you want to get out and hunt a little bit and take some vacation time. So we figured we couldn't hire all houndsmen or we'd all be in the same boat. Yeah, <laughs> your company would be under the water for about a month or two. <laughs> everybody needs us we'd all be in the woods so no but we do have people like we really try to expose them like i'll say andrew he is one of our customer representatives he came down and spent a couple days working with me in oregon and i was able to take him out on the hunt you know try to expose them so they understand the urgency when people have issues and to get an idea of what we really do so we try to really expose them to that and in the end, I mean, all of our workers care about our customers. So they've learned so much in a short time. It, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so we're going to slide into our halftime real quick. Uh, guys, we'll be back with Jason. All right. All right. So uh, we're back with uh, Jason Doobie. You guys just heard me talk there for a good little while. Um so let's let's get into a little bit more loose setting. Um, is there any stories you guys want to you want to talk about? Oh man, what kind of stories you want to hear? I don't know. Like the last time we talked about the old uh, possum possum race. The possum race. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one I'll probably never forget. I had uh, picked up a dog to try. I was looking to add a dog to my pack. And I picked this dog up from a guy, and he says, hey, he's green. He doesn't know a whole lot of anything. He's not trash broke, meaning that he's probably going to chase whatever you put him on. So I said, great. I took the dog to the woods, and we ended up running a fox that he didn't want to go on. So I thought, well, maybe he just doesn't like fox. And we hunted around all night and tried to put him on another one, and nothing happened. So on the way out, we saw a possum in the road. And I thought, well, a possum's stinky. You know, he should know what to do with it. And it's literally right there. So I grab him out of the box and turn him loose. And he walked up and he just licked that possum on the butt and turned around and ran to the truck. And that was it. What? So I thought, well, let's see if we can get him coaxed into it. I grabbed a couple of my other dogs that hadn't been broke on them and put them on this possum so they left the road and started barking up the hill and they started baying it just like a bear you know where they stay close but they aren't grabbing hold of it they're just barking running around in circles and they proceeded to do that a thousand yards up the mountain (laughs) and that is not something I thought through before I did it because after that I had issues with them running possums I was just really young and, and inexperienced, and I was frustrated, and yeah, that turned out to be a, a major malfunction after that point. 
So, uh, switching bases just a little bit. We know you, um, we, they know that you, you guys have your own podcast. What do you think some of like the biggest points of your podcast, like what makes a good podcast? The best podcasts are the ones that are just natural conversation. You know, we talk with people that, Hey, I usually talk to you on a regular basis because they're customers and we deal with them a lot. But they're interesting people and it's interesting topics. So that keeps us interested and it just keeps things rolling in a natural way, kind of like we're talking now. You know, it, it's not forced. And I think that's the number one thing to make a good podcast is have it be on a topic or with somebody that you're interested in. And it just kind of goes naturally from there. So, like, I like you told us last time, but what, what website do you use for your podcast? Uh, some of them we record in person. So we have a, our own recorder set up. And then other times we'll use, like, Zoom. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of you guys are using for remote learning. Same thing. And we can record them that way and do podcasts with anybody. I mean, I do them with my buddy in Norway. We've got guys, you know, Brett Vaughn, he's out of uh, New Mexico. We do them all over the place. So it's a good way to see them face to face and it helps with the conversation. I think that's a big, big bonus because you pull so much off of people by their body language and the way that they speak, not just their voice. So that's been a really good tool through all this. Um, so, like, Levi, you got any questions for him? Been being kind of uh, quiet this whole time. Yeah, I just don't know what to say. Um, you ain't got no questions? No, I don't got no questions. Um, so, so, like, I know you did the one with, uh, Lori and Cougar and, and everybody down there, the Elk Creek race. So, like, you did that on your own personal recorder? Yeah, we've got a little multi-track recorder. Like, the one that we just launched today uh we had done a couple podcasts in wisconsin while we were there and we have our microphones and our headphones set up and we can plug it into a digital recorder and do it from anywhere yeah you know we did that one at the the field trial we did the other ones like at the hotel lobby we can do them just about anywhere with that system have you posted the one that you did at the dog race no, not yet, because we had a lot of noise from the dogs barking and the bleed over. So I don't know if we can get it all edited out or not. Uh-huh. We try to not edit much on our podcast, so it stays real natural. Yeah. But that one was just, there was so much going on. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to try to save some of it, but I think we're going to end up just doing another one. All like, right. I have Cougar. Michael Ewing scheduled to do another one with us this week, and then we'll get a hold of Lori and Kelly, and we'll probably try to do those separately, because nobody wants to listen to a podcast with bad sound, or that just sounds unorganized. Yeah, I, I think the and one... That was probably the hardest podcast I'd ever done. It was really hard to stay focused with all that going on. Yeah, I think the one with Lori will probably be good, because you'll be talking about some of like the chc stuff probably huh oh i'm sure because she's been so involved for so long and done a lot of great things for houndsman in california yeah along with chc and you know all the other clubs minda lake 
North Central. I mean, there's so many clubs down there that are all fighting for the same thing. All right, so Levi just remembered his question. No, I was actually saying, um, since you know Logan and Riley, what about um, you want to know about me? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know me. My name's Levi. Yes. What? Continue. What else? What else, Levi? Um, I actually have been a basketball player for two years now. What was that? You what? I'm sorry. Hold on. What, Riley? Okay, what were you going to say? Right. what'd you say? I Ra- No, Ra- continue. Right. what'd you say? What'd you say? Okay, nothing. Continue back to your, uh, to your segment here. No, never mind. Never mind. So, is there like Riley's after the the cringe session? There, is there any um like any else uh, big things wait. you want to talk about there for a Riley little bit? Smith. What? You know what? <laughs> what? So, you know is there what? any other big things that you want to talk about? Oh, uh, I mean, there's a lot going on right now, uh, as far as legislation across the u.s there's been some really big wins for houndsmen like now montana is going to have bear hunting season with hounds which is new yeah i heard about that huge thing yeah it's just i think the biggest thing right now is that those of us in the sport that we really focus on controlling the narrative where these anti-groups are out Thinking we the worst of the worst. Yeah, thinking we only like go out just to kill stuff with most of us don't even kill anything anymore, you know? Right. Like I explained to a guy the other day, is it better for me to shoot a fox out to my dogs so that they can see the reward? Or is it better that I run that same fox fifty times? So I leave them so I can continue to go back and train and like I said, they they become your partner. Without my dogs, I couldn't catch them. Without the fox, there wouldn't be anything to catch. So it's this big circle, and we all depend on each other in this. So it's really important that we just keep pushing positive images and positive stories and let people know what it's really about. Because most of them are very ignorant, as in the fact they just don't know any better. And if we don't tell them what it's really about and what it means to us, Somebody else is going to tell them what it is, and their their view is so far from the truth, it's not even funny. Like, um, so the fact that we're gaining ground, you know, that's a huge thing right now. Houndsmen have a good momentum going. Like, like my my dad knows a guy that moved from up here to uh, Arizona, and um, one of his buddies he was hunting with a, like probably about another ten people, and they were at the gas station in the morning. And somebody there, they probably had uh, probably about 50 dogs between all of them. The gas station right next to the freeway and they somebody let all their dogs out and like a couple of them got ran over. And, oh, no. Because like I think that that's like a big thing. Like I know like Eric, when he was in Oregon a couple years ago, some guys let his dogs out and were like trying to like, uh, what is it? Like trying to get him to leave, you know, and not hunt. That's horrible. But like it's it like yeah, that, I, th- I think are... I think that's one of the bigger things. Like what happens is like 
people are so focused on like hound hunters and how they're so bad, but then, but then they forget to tell everybody about sometimes like when people are just trying to mind their own business and get gas, and people are like letting their dogs out or yelling at them for being a houndman, houndsman, you know. Yeah, well, and they think that we force these dogs to do what they do. And I know, Riley, you've been around it long enough. Yeah. If a dog hunts, it's because it wants to hunt. Yeah, it does. That's why we have them. They want to do it. it. They don't hunt unless they want to. Like, we've all had them dogs that, yeah, we've all had those dogs that um that have been, like, they don't want to hunt, so they, they don't hunt, you know? Right. And then there's others that you have to stop, like, when you get to know your dog, like we were talking earlier, that, you know, with the hunting dogs, I feel more focused. I'll notice when a dog's getting soft-footed. They're not hurt real bad yet. You can't physically see it, but you can tell there's something going on, and I'll grab that dog and throw it in the box. Yeah, they start you acting know, like... Make sure that it, it doesn't do damage to itself, because that dog has basically a couple things that it's focused on. That's yeah. self-preservation... Making sure it survives. I mean, that dog's not going to do anything, hopefully, stupid enough to kill itself. Running off a cliff or, you know, run in front of traffic. It's going to try to survive. And the other main goal is trying to catch what it's chasing, that yeah. drive, and to reproduce. I mean, those are the three main focuses on a dog. So... It, it just blows my mind that people say we make them do this. You don't make dogs breed. They do it naturally. Yeah. You know, you don't put a dog in a bad situation on purpose. Yeah. But if it comes across that situation, it's going to do whatever it can to save its own life. The same way if you put it on a sink, it's going to run that track the hardest it can. Because, like... It's like it was like some of the anti hunters they make it out to be like we tried to put the dogs in a bad situation and we don't try we, if we want it to that might this might sound a little weird but like for our sake too we want the best possible situation to run it and treat it but if anything bad happens along the way that's just kind of how it goes you know you're trying to and work out the situation the best you can Sure. I mean, my biggest fear is other people in the woods while I'm hunting. My biggest fear oh, is that yeah. somebody's bombing down a backcountry road when my dogs happen to be crossing. So, you know, we do what we can to limit that possibility. Like you said, we don't want anything to happen to these dogs. We have a bond. We've got a lot of time and money invested. Like, my kids love my dogs. So it's like, I don't want to explain to them why this dog didn't come home. So yeah. we do absolutely everything that we can to make sure that they do come home. Like when we, my dad was hunting yesterday and he said he, he seen a fox cross the road and he was letting them work the track because he went up the road and then was roading them back. And he said he was letting the dogs work and a big old truck come barreling down the road. He said like 40 miles an hour on a dirt road and almost hit, um, almost hit um, our little puppy and her mama. And then a big old log and semi come around the corner and almost hit two of our, our old males, and then a water truck come by and almost hit all of them at the same time. Yeah, it can get crazy. I mean, and that's the part to me where, like, let's say your dad in that situation probably did the right thing, grabbed his dogs and threw them in. Yeah. It's no different than any danger that any other dog has. It's just 
our goal is to be there and keep them safe. Like, like, let's say a house pet digs out of its kennel when you're at work all day, it's got a better chance of being hit by a car than we do doing what we do. Yeah. Um, I actually have like a story. Do we have time for a story? Yeah, we got, I think we got time. So, I, I, some of this may be wrong since I heard it a few years back. There might be some stuff that's like, it's like, that really happened. We never heard it, so we wouldn't know. Yeah, but, uh, so my grandpa was really big into hunting, but now he owns his own uh, auto repair shop in Bernie. And, uh, and, uh, he used to be really big into hunting before he became big at the auto shop. But he went with my cousin, and they used to go over by Fall River back there from the out of Fall River into the like the way to Oregon and uh and they used to go back there and uh they were going one time and they and uh they were they were crossing the road in this this semi truck with like no joke four trailers on it literally came by and barreled the, the dog, they had two dogs, my grandpa's, not like a whole eight or something like that. They only had two because they used to go duck hunting, not like big old fox and bear and stuff like that. But yeah, but they used to do that. And uh, the semi truck came and hit one of the dogs, hit one of them. Yeah. And, like, with, with the dogs getting hit, I think it's sometimes it's almost better if when they get hit, they just, they get put out of their misery when they do, and they just go, than if they get hit, and then you got to take them to the vet and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to see an animal suffer. Yeah. I, I mean, our dogs, the game that we chase, you know, that's why you try to make a good, clean, ethical take if you are taking an animal you know, I don't think any of us want to see that happen where, you know, sometimes people paint a picture that that's what we do or that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, we want to make sure that animals are are respected. I mean, as number one for me, I respect the game that I chase. I respect my dogs and I don't ever want to see any of it you know, in pain or suffering. Yeah, so we're almost out of time, but can you wrap us? Do you have any good podcast stories? Good podcast stories. Yeah, we'll wrap it up with that. Man, just a lot of good podcasts. I mean, we've only had to re-record one so far, um, but it's funny to just see how the conversation rolls. You might have an idea in your head on where you want to go with the conversation. And then somebody says something that just totally derails it. But I love when we can just sit down and, you know, you get laughing with these guys and gals. It's, it's a lot of fun. And next thing you know, it's two hours in. Yeah. You know, it time slips away. Wow. When which you, is kind of a houndsman thing. We can never talk for 10 minutes. No. You gotta talk for an hour. Yeah. Like, when you just said you'd have to retake only one the whole time you've done yeah, it. Yeah, we've only re-recorded one. No, when we've recorded 
regular ones just on our own, it's been like like six or seven that the the computer was malfunctioning or the headsets were plugged well, weren't plugged, plugged in. in or you know <laughs> someone someone burst out laughing and then ruined the thing. Yeah. Or I mean, a teacher the comes podcast, in. And- I'll tell you one of one of my favorites that we've done. We did with the guys from Bear Hunter Magazine, uh, Clay Newcomb and Colby Moorhead. Yeah. And they actually flew out, and we we took them up and showed them some country to do some spring bear hunting in Oregon. Or, I'm sorry, in in Washington, fall bear. Maybe it was. Yeah, it must have been fall. It was in September. Um, But, you know, we literally recorded it on the tailgates. We backed the trucks up, dropped the tailgates, and just sat on this mountaintop and recorded this great podcast out in nature like that was probably one of the coolest settings i've ever been in and it was a great podcast yeah maybe we'll get there one day so well guys thanks for listening to the podcast hope you enjoy we'll get one to you soon all right bye